Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 142 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is November 3rd, 2010. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. We're going to talk about the heartbreaking loss to Oregon. USC uh, lost to Oregon this past Saturday at the Coliseum. But the upcoming game against Arizona State, what USC fans could expect from that one. We have a lot of questions to get to if you have any questions or comments for us. As always, drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. Dot com is our email address, or you can leave us a voicemail, 206-888-6755. Leave us a voicemail there. We can play your voicemail on the air and answer your questions that way. Uh, in the first segment, we're going to mix it up a little bit this week. We'll talk to Coach Harvey Hyde a little bit later in the show, but we do have Dan Weber from uscfootball.com, uscfootball.com beat writer, joining us in the first segment. Dan, how's it going, man? Hey, pretty good. Good to be with you. Cool. Well, we're glad you're on board. We just wanted to uh, talk a little about, maybe get, I guess start off, we don't want to go too long, but just maybe just get some initial thoughts on what you thought coming out of that Oregon game, and then just being at practice yesterday, Tuesday, getting the kind of the first reaction from some of the players and coaches on what they thought after they broke down film in that Oregon game. Well, I think... Uh... In some ways, it was encouraging. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, when you can come back, uh, make a couple of plays on defense after halftime, you have to give the ball up. They're up by 12 at halftime. They've scored 29 points in 849, I guess, time of possession in the first half. And uh, you're thinking, oh, my gosh. Uh, and USC comes out, uh, kicks off, makes a couple of big, uh, you know, uh, turnovers on, you know, turns the ball over, scores it right away, gets short fields, does all the things, you know, okay, this is what we're supposed to do, and then, you know, gets blitzed 24 to nothing from then on. So it had a little bit of everything that you kind of, you know, you want to be able to make some plays. You want to be able to be compete, you know, compete with uh, a team that looks like right now, as it's playing at this point, is the best team in the country. Uh, and you're able to play with them and stay with them and 20 or, you know, 30, what, uh, 35 minutes into the game, take the lead. Uh, that's about what you would expect. The fact that you can't stay with them, that you don't have the depth at all, not even close, probably don't have the conditioning, don't have, you know, the bodies uh, is about what you also thought. I think seeing Oregon in person, you realize they have more guys that can play then you, you don't know all their names. You just know that when uh, their defensive coordinator, Nick Aliotti, said, you know, we play them three or four plays, and we get them out of there. We ask them to bust their, uh, I guess the expression he uses is we said, bust your face for three or four plays, and then uh, we'll rotate you out, out of there, and we'll rotate somebody else in. Well, you know, USC, when you watch them like yesterday in practice, you realize they're rotating like 15 guys, you know, in and out. They're really... Of all the things, the more I look at it, of all the things that's a little disappointing is this year is the inability to develop quality depth. Uh, we've almost seen uh, less depth 
than when they started the year. And I think uh, you look at what happened during the year. They tried to play backups, especially on defense, uh, first couple of games. And the the Hawaii game, up. the Hawaii game especially, right, Dan? Like the uh, Lane Kiffin wasn't real happy about that. Touchdowns fast enough. Yeah, exactly. And it looks like they got gun shy playing, uh, playing, uh, you know, backups. Uh, and you know, it's hard to blame them. I mean, now you look back and you say, okay, maybe Hawaii really was better than we thought they were. Uh, and maybe that wasn't quite as bad a sign as it looked like, but there was pretty much complete collapse. And, you know, game one, game two, game three, they're giving up touchdowns every time they put the backups in there. Now, could they have been put in, you know, uh, two or three at a time with the, uh, with the first uh, defense? Uh, I don't know. It just looks like they've gone – you know, eight games into the season with very little uh, quality depth and very little, you know, guys that they look at and say, you know, we could put this guy in or we could put that guy in. And some of it is they started from such a low baseline. I mean, considering the sanctions hadn't kicked in, uh, they just didn't have enough numbers. They had, uh, you know, the last couple of years just hadn't recruited enough people and were below scholarship limits, uh, you know, all the time. And, uh, then with the free out that the NCAA gave uh, transfers and all that, uh, just a combination of things that uh, has put them in a position where uh, they didn't feel like they, they had much, you know, many options. Uh, although I do like what happened yesterday, and, and this is, you know, nothing personal about anybody. It's just uh, we see that on offense and defense, it looks like at least one spot each place uh, there's going to be a shift or uh, potentially there's going to be a new starter. And that's what we hadn't seen. I mean, we had seen the same guys at the same positions week after week after week. And, uh, you know, one week maybe you go out and they get, the, they get it blocked and they can run the ball. And the next week, like, uh, you know, against Oregon, every time they ran the ball, to the, you know, basically to the left side, they got stuffed. And uh, that was not – a good game to be able to not be able, you know, to, to not be able to run the ball. And I think a lot of people on the peristyle, for example, were just theorizing that it had to be all the running backs were back, you know, were banged up. Well, they weren't banged up that much. And, and, you know, they, you know, they would not have probably given the ball to Allen Bradford right away if he were banged up that much. Uh, they were getting banged up after they got the ball by the Oregon defense. Uh, and, uh, so we saw, you know, it uh, looks like Michael Reardon is going to get a chance to, you know, start. And he's always, you know, played uh, when he's gotten a chance. And, he, you know, a guy can play every position. And uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. And it looks like, uh, you know, the one safety position we're going to get a chance to see, uh, you know, see uh, Marshall Jones possibly, uh, you know, for Juwanza Starling. So, and when you talk to Willie MacDars after practice last night, he said he's not the only one, you know, that they're looking at. And, they, you know, Brian Balcom is another one. Uh, and he made a couple of big plays at the end of practice. So I think that if, they, if there's been a little bit of a failing, uh, you know, with the way this team's been handled, I think developing those guys in those positions or maybe staying with guys who, uh, you know, don't seem to be, uh, you know, as productive, although I know a lot of people, you know, watched, for example, the game and are wondering uh, what's happening, uh, you know, at liner and especially middle linebacker. And as it turns out, uh, for the Oregon game, uh, 
basically uh, Lane, after looking at the films and you know looking at the leading tackler in the game was uh, middle linebacker Devon Kennard. Lane said he's the only linebacker that did have a good game. So, uh, you know, obviously there are some, you know, with with the issues that USC's had personnel-wise and all of that, that wasn't the worst showing in the world, uh, you know, against an Oregon team that really played well. I mean, obviously now that tells you how good Oregon is, I think, is they show up having not had a history of playing well in L.A., and this is their first big challenge, uh, you know, on the road, uh, on grass, against a, a team that came out and, you know, took the lead away from them. And here Oregon just comes roaring back. Uh, this is a team that knows what it's all about, uh, believes in itself, uh, doesn't make the kind of mistakes that, uh, you know, that cause it to lose football games. And, um, you know, kind of it's where USC used to be, I think. Uh, it's turned, it's turned things around pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, a good example of, of what you can do in a couple of years. And, uh, you know, basically uh, they've just been doing what they've been doing with Kelly, uh, you know, last year and this year. They started out last year with just an awful game and his first game as head coach when they went to Boise State and got embarrassed and uh, and got stuffed, and, and LeGarrette Blunt throws the punch, and they become sort of the outcast of college football. Well, look, look where they are. You know, what's that, 15 games later? Uh, you know, they went to the Rose Bowl, probably uh, uh, were very disappointed at how they played in the Rose Bowl. So they've had to overcome some things, and they have. Uh, and I think that's uh, – where USC, you know, got to take a look and say, we got to be there too. All right. Well, you made some excellent points, uh, you know, during that entire uh, speech there, Dan. (laughs) But we had actually a couple of specific questions about um, some of the things. And here's the first one. It's actually a voicemail question. Again, if you want to leave us a voicemail, 206-888-6755 is the number. But here's a voicemail question about the secondary. Hey, how you guys doing uh, over at the P? Um, I enjoy listening to the show. Um, my question is actually for uh, Dan Weber. I was just wondering, um, what's what's the deal with uh, T.J. Bryant right now? Why is he not seeing the field? Is he is he still suffering from with the altercation with him and um, Stanley Havili? Is he still not healed? Or because I, I mean, I know he was competing for a starting spot during the spring, and now all of a sudden he's not seeing the field. So I was just wondering which is a status on the team. Uh, thank you guys as always and enjoy listening to the podcast. All right, Dan, what do you think? When I want, every time I, you know, I look at TJ, it just doesn't look like he's quite gotten up to speed again. Uh, I, I guess I wasn't one of the people who really saw him as, you know, kind of a, a you know a lockdown cornerback. I always saw him as kind of an in-between uh, athlete, and in-between in terms of size and speed, and uh, you know all that quick twitch. Uh, you know, cornerback. Uh, you know, muscle fiber. You know, that guy. You know, that real quick shutdown guy. Uh, now, I, I did talk to TJ once about it, and I said, you know, you're you're kind of you know big enough to be a safety. You know, oh no, I, you know, I'm a I'm a corner. I'm too athletic to be a to be a safety. Uh, I'm not sure that I have seen that, uh, you know, out of, out of TJ. And I know, uh, you know, how they were talking about him and thinking about him. I will be honest. I haven't seen that uh, from him. 
Uh, I know Willie, you know, uh, Willie Mac uh, Garza after practice last night mentioned him as being in, uh, you know, he and Bautum, uh, you know, as being, uh, you know, guys that they're, they're going to take a look at uh, again. Um, it's, uh, I just, I haven't seen it and I haven't, you know, seen, I guess every once in a while we'll see, uh, say, uh, about Brian about to make a play, but, um, uh, I haven't seen much out of TJ at practice where you say, okay, this kid, we've got to take a look at this kid. Uh, uh, and we haven't seen it out of almost anybody in the, you know, in that next group of, uh, of guys in the secondary. I mean, you keep, I mean, to be honest, you really watch more. I mean, you're really looking to see, does somebody make a play? Uh, does somebody, you know, separate themselves in any way or make you, you know, think, gosh, there's a guy that, you know, is about ready to step up? Uh, you know, we haven't seen that much. Uh, and we, and I don't think we've really seen that. I mean, to be honest, they would, uh, you know, they'd welcome TJ, for example, getting in the mix again. We just haven't seen it. All right. Uh, well, keeping with the secondary, we got uh, Coach G likes to write in and ask questions of Harvey Hyde. But he wanted to ask you a question this week, so thanks for doing that, Coach G. But he's, th- you know, he thinks that the Trojans have improved a lot on defense, and I-, I kind of agree, even though they gave up 53 points to Oregon. But from a coaching standpoint, he wants to know um, if they use the nose guard and free safety, if the way they use them, if it could come out differently. He wants to know. How much time does the de- defensive backs coach spend on uh, uh, tackling and pushing off and keeping a three-yard type of cushion, jamming receivers and and watching watching them in man coverage? He assumes that most of the emphasis is on zone responsibility. So we want to kind of get your thoughts on that. Uh, he's correct. Uh, we don't see a lot of that, uh, you know, man technique and maintaining. Uh, you know, leverage uh, and you know, running with uh, running with the back. Uh, a lot of it is, a lot of it is uh, uh, attempting to uh, disguise the coverage and and working combinations. And uh, I think there's been a big emphasis. I mean, and we saw it work uh, in the Washington State game, where a couple of times they. Uh, uh, you know, confused Washington State and the Cal, uh, you know, got the uh, pick six and what have you. So, uh, you know, uh, occasionally it seems to have worked. Uh, much of the time, you know, like the two first two touchdowns that Jeff Mail got for Oregon the other day, both of those were busted coverage where some guys were doing one thing and some guys were doing something else. And uh, the thing that, that is a little discouraging you mentioned the nose guard also, or nose tackle, is that uh, they held Oregon 20, 20 Oregon plays with three yards or less. So they really had the answer, uh, you know, to stop the run first. They really had the answer a lot uh, against, uh, you know, really the problem is when they broke down and when they gave up a big play, it wasn't just eight yards. 12 yards, you know, it was touchdown. We had guys running free 15 yards downfield. Then they, you know, cross, and they're still running free. I mean, there were guys, you know, Jeff Mayo, for example. How does he run free from the line of scrimmage 15 yards, 20 yards down to his cut? Then he crosses the field. He's still running free. He's still not got anybody even looking at him. 
mean, and you you look and you 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 locate the U.S. you know U.S.C. secondary, they've all got their backs to him. They're running some direction, uh, looking for some kind of a key, and you know so, and then now you've got the worst possible situation for the U.S.C. defense. Someone's got to make a play in space, and you think, uh oh. And then you realize when you watch the opposite happen, what happened when uh, USC probably has better wide receivers than Oregon? What happened every time they caught the ball in space? They got tackled by like three guys. Uh, the difference in the ability to play in space, know where the ball is, and all of that is, is so vast, the difference between, say, Oregon and USC, the fact that USC does not seem to have gotten any better uh, in, in terms of playing in space, locating the ball, playing together, everybody knows what, uh, what defense uh, you know, they're running, uh, are worrisome, the fact that we don't see any progress, and we really don't. They're, the secondary, he hasn't shown, uh, and the secondary in combination with the uh, linebackers in terms of coverage, he hasn't really shown a lot of, um, you know, a lot of improvement, and I know people were talking this week um, and saying, um, well, you know, the one good thing is uh, Arizona State's coming up, and they're, you know, they go with four wides, and the kids, you know, uh, three, the quarterback can be a little erratic, and you think, well, you know what? A lot of times when you see the USC team in pass defense, you'd think, you know, that quarterback could hit to be really erratic to be throwing interceptions. He gets to throw the ball you know, eight or ten yards away from his wide receivers. It's not like they're, you know, fitting the ball in, you know, into, you know, narrow seams. I mean, they're throwing the ball. Andrew Luck at, you know, Stanford or uh, uh, Dan Thomas uh, from Oregon, they're hitting guys that are wide open. And not only are they wide open to catch it, they're wide open for the first 10, 15 yards after they catch it. That's worrisome. In the extreme, it seems to me, and it, it really makes you question um, what are they doing on defense. I mean, a big emphasis when they, uh, you know, in the winter, in spring ball, in the summer, a big emphasis was, and, and not that the coaches could work with them in the summer, but a big emphasis every chance that the coaches could work with them was to teach and teach and teach and concepts and and principles and all of that. And, it, you know, whether there's been a lot of teaching going on, it doesn't seem like there's been a lot of learning going on. Uh, it just looks like there's a level of complexity with what they're trying to do in pass coverage that uh, is beyond the capability of the USC kids to, uh, to pick up. Now, you look at a game like, Oregon, and you think, would they have been better off Oregon blitz 80% of the time? Would USC have been better off blitzing 80% of the time, play man, and at least you'd have somebody running with the guy, hopefully. And, uh, you know, it, it almost looks like if they don't get to the quarterback, if they don't get pressure, if they don't get a hand in his face, the, few t- the times they did, it looked like they, they got Thomas throwing the ball a little quick. They got Thomas, you know, a little out of his rhythm. Otherwise, they had no shot, it looked like, in shutting uh, down the Oregon passing game. Uh, and that, you know, if you had a question, you asked that question. Why, uh, why wouldn't you do the one thing that you seem to possibly have 
has some luck doing. And uh, even though that may not be the comfort level of the coaches, sure seems like it's the comfort level of the players on this particular team. <laughs> Certainly. Uh, you know. So anyway, that's uh, that's kind of my my little take. It just doesn't look like they can do what they're being asked to do. All right. Uh, in pass defense. Well, we got one last thing from uh, Michael. And he had two questions, and I think he sent this in before uh, Lake Kiffin made some of the announcements he did yesterday. But he he thinks Devon Kennard looks lost at middle linebacker, and we already heard from you that Kennard is actually they they felt that he played the best, and so he wanted to know when this experiment will end. And I think a lot of people were asking that, Dan, but it doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon since he's playing the best of the linebackers according to Kiffin. Well, I mean, I think that was for the other that was. Uh, uh... Saturday, and that was in a game where they just didn't feel like any of the linebackers played well, and he did make 13 tackles. Now, I, you know, we you think they could still move him? To, 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 you know, remember exactly where those 13 tackles were, and I do that. I do think there were some jam ups in the line of scrimmage where, you know, you or I might have credited the down line with the tackle, and and, and Kennard, you know, uh, got the tackle. But uh, uh, yeah, it's an experiment. I mean, do you think they'll move the him? Question, though, do you think they'll? He'll, huh? I, do you think they're going to stick with him there? The question I have is: Here's a kid that maybe had potential to be an All-American defensive end because of his, uh, you know, as, you know, edge rush skills, and now he's being asked to instead of you know that straight-ahead, uh, you know, outside rush, you know, uh, speed and ability to be disruptive. Now he's being asked to be to play laterally and to fill in, uh, and he just doesn't, I mean, that seems almost to be a, a one-of-a-kind skill, a middle linebacker who can read and react and still fill in with, uh, you know, tremendous force uh, and speed uh, where the play, you know, is going to be run, and he's got to be able to go left, he's got to be able to go right, and in this defense, he's got to be able to go 30 yards downfield to play deep middle <laughs> and pass coverage, which I would think... If you would ask it, you know, convert a former defensive end from last year and not only give him the responsibilities he's got to play laterally with force, something he's never done as a defensive end, and he's got to play pass coverage 30 yards downfield, that's a lot, you know, for a, a you know, 19, 20-year-old guy. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, I wish – which they had more options, obviously, when you lose four, uh, you know, guys who two years ago that go on to be rookie starters in the NFL. They're all linebackers. And then you lose uh, a couple of kids to, uh, you know, heart issues. And, uh, you know, and you missed on a couple of other kids, one of whom's coming in this week and, you know, one of them who will be coming in with Notre Dame. Uh, you know, you've got a linebacker deficit. There's no question. And they don't have a lot of options there. I still wish we would have seen more uh, more options, and I wish they would have probably been uh, recognized the fact that uh, the more complexity they added to the defense, the more difficulty it might be for you know a first-time guy there. I mean, I, I think a lot of people underrate Devon's physical abilities, and they underrate his speed, his quickness, his size. You read a lot of the, you know a lot of posts, and people don't understand how physically gifted he is, that still doesn't mean that he's, he's able to uh, match with a, with a middle linebacker position. Uh, it's a one-of-a-kind skill. It's a one-of-a-kind way of, you know, I mean, USC had 
fabulous luck, for example, with a guy like Lofa Tatupu, who was a little undersized, but he played high school quarterback, and he saw the game, and he knew where the ball was going, and he just seemed to understand the flow, and there would be so many times where he'd be somewhere, and you'd say, how did he know the play was going there? But he did. Uh, you see none of that now. I mean, I, I did say one of the things, the thumbs down, is, is this team does not seem to be uh, a team with high football IQ. I mean, that's just it's sort of you get it. I mean, I, we would watch Matt Grudigan, for example. You know, what was he? If he was lucky, if he was 5'11 and 210 pounds, you know, and he made All-American linebacker. And one of the things you'd watch him do is he would look quarterback's eyes off off of him. He'd look he'd be running backwards, purposely look one way, and he knew the quarterback would watch that and throw the other way and he'd turn and here, you know, that one game he had a couple of interceptions to start the season and he was suckering quarterbacks, you know. I mean he was actually able to do that. I mean that's a level of like football instinct that we haven't, <laughs> haven't seen in a while. And it would really, you know, and it's really hard, I guess, for this team. They're young. They haven't had a lot of experience. They didn't get to play a lot. Even the guys that were here when you were behind, uh, you know, Clay Matthews, uh, you know, the best, uh, uh, you know, sack guy in the NFL now is a, is a second-year guy, wasn't even a starter, you know, for all those years. And so uh, uh, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for, you know, uh, say the Michael Morgans and Malcolm Smith and that maybe to, to play as much when they were, you know, first here. But uh, we just don't see enough of, of what you need to have happen when you're playing teams as good as Oregon and Stanford are on offense. Uh, so uh, we'll see. They've got five games to go. And, uh, you know, this is, I haven't said this this year because people say, you know, well, was the Stanford game the most important game of the year? Or was the Oregon, Oregon game? And I haven't been willing to say that. I will say this. Every one of these games is. I mean, they've got a chance to, you know, they could win all five. They could lose three. I mean, this is really, this really matters. It's crunch time. <laughs> huh? It's crunch time. How they fin- yeah. 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 How they finish. I mean, what what a difference. If they could run the table, finish on an up, you know, an upswing, uh, beat a couple of really good, you know, teams that are going to be really tough to beat on the road in Arizona and Oregon State, that would finish this year, you know, they'd be 10-3, and three, a 10-win season under all these circumstances, you know, that would be, this really, really matters, I mean, they're, they're awfully thin, uh, you know, every week, you know, it's like there could be one, you know, injury at one position, and that makes life really difficult, but they've got the ability probably to do this, and, and you know, to me, I think this finishing five games is really unbelievably important. And I know you talk to them and they say, and rightly so, we're only thinking about Arizona State. But for those of us who, you know, step back and maybe take a little look at the big picture, um, uh, this really, really, really matters uh, uh, for this team and for this program. All right. And uh, they've got a chance to finish on a, on a real high. They certainly do. We'll be we'll be tuning in, Dan, and seeing what goes on there. But I just wanted to thank you for uh, joining us again on the podcast, and we'll uh, get your thoughts again next week. Uh, hear what see what happened at the Arizona State game. Yes, sir. Thanks very much, Ryan. Enjoyed it. All right, everyone else. We're going to be back in thirty seconds. We'll get Harvey Hyde 
on the other side of the break. He'll be talking in our second segment this week. Get his thoughts on what happened in Oregon and looking forward to Arizona State. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We are joined in the second segment this time by Coach Harvey Hyde, who just got off a plane from Las Vegas. He's nice enough to join us in the car on the way on his way home to his lovely wife and as the mayor of Pasadena. What's going on, Coach? Well, Ryan, I tell you what, I had to fly back to get on this thing, but I just missed my starting time. I'm sorry I'm late for kickoff, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know how it is. I probably have to get up earlier. They're going to bench me during the first quarter for being late, but thank you very much for calling me. I am in my car, and uh, let's get started. What do we have today? Yeah, well, maybe initially just kind of get your thoughts on what you took away from that Oregon game. I mean, some people thought the defense actually didn't play that well. They had some good good. A lot of play, plays where they held the Oregon offense to three yards or other, they just gave up a whole lot of big plays and obviously 53 points. But um, I, my my beef was a little bit more on the offensive side. I thought they needed to take more advantages of some of the opportunities the defense did give them. But I wanted to maybe get your thoughts on what happened in that Oregon game. Well, you know, you're never going to just stop Oregon. All you're trying to do is slow them down and, and play with them. And everybody's game plan or thoughts were that FC could score in Oregon, and we – assumed Oregon would scare, uh, score on USC, and, and that's basically what happened. Uh, I think if you remember, we talked about it's going to go down to the last play, maybe, or the last uh, series of plays because of both offenses. And, you know, Oregon's got a solid defense, but not a defense that USC isn't capable of moving the football on, which they did. I think what it came down to, Ryan, is Oregon executes – uh, very few plays, and executes them very well. They just move their guys around in different formations, see what you're going to do, and so on, and then adjust their, their patterns or their running plays to that or option plays to that. I think that it made it difficult on USC as far as for them making the necessary adjustments because I really felt that uh, Coach Kelly knows knows what he's doing at this point of the season since he's been around this offense for a long period of time more than what FC's defense was trying to do as far as trying to stop them. I think at times the FC defense looked confused. I think they had breakdowns in their coverages. And they have certain people responsible for certain type of routes uh, on the Oregon team uh, Number 23, Masol, is a, is, a, is a guy that's their big receiver, and you've got to take him out of the game because he's the guy they're going to go to for big plays. Number 80, uh, Tooney, I think his name was, is their short yardage guy. Why he's so big and tall that he's going to catch a quick slant on a third and five or the out route or something like that. And, you know, they do use backs often in their passing 
game, but they have. Uh, I think it came down to in the third quarter when SC came out and really did challenge Oregon. They were fired up. Their defense was fired up. They had the interception. They got the ball. They went in and scored. Uh, they three and out. They got the ball again. They went in and scored. Uh, man, I tell you, the crowd got back in the game. Everybody was fired up, everything. And then they had a big play from Johnson on a play-action pass. They went to the spread. Barkley was looking to the sideline. It's just that they hadn't worked on this that much and was still trying to get directions from Coach Kiffin, and O'Dowd snapped the ball. They happened to have a blitz going on at that time where the back was in the backfield before Barkley could pick the ball up. That ignited Oregon and uh, made the difference in the game. I think that FC was on its way to another score. I think the score then was 36-32, and that would have given them 43 or 44 points at that time, and I think it may have really carried over into a victory for the Trojans, but there's a lot of maze and so on. And what Oregon does, which I'm so impressed with, and they are the best football team. I'm not trying to say that SC was the best football team. Oregon was the best football team. They deserved to win that football game, but they didn't deviate from what they do. They played hard, and they believe in what they do, and they execute it. And they know eventually you'll break down somewhere, and they'll take advantage of it. But I just think right now, offensively, USC might be just doing a little bit too much than what they should be doing with such great athletes. Keep it simple. Let your players play. Don't try to out-trick people. Just line up and do the same type of execution that Oregon demonstrated. I think right now, if you look at a philosophy of USC's offense, I wouldn't tell. I wouldn't know what how to say what offense they're running. Uh, they run an eye, and they run a wildcat, and they run a spread, and then they've got Barkley split out there in a receiver type of position where they ran that reverse pass. But, you know, Barkley split out there is not really a threat. He's not like a Terrell Pryor that's going to run a, run a deep route and, and catch a, a high-thrown pass and outleap the defensive back. So you're sort of wondering, well, what, what's happening here? There's so many different things happening that you don't know really what to expect instead of just keeping it simple and run a certain offense, and if they do this, we do that. If they do that, we do this, that type of thing. Defensively, uh, I think that they slowed Oregon down, but they didn't slow them down enough to really change the rhythm of their game. The only way you're going to disrupt Oregon offensively is, of course, to get a turnover or force them to be erratic. But Thomas really stands in that pocket. You can't get to Thomas. You, he stands there and he threw the ball many, many times in the same spot the entire game over the middle. They never did take that route away, and they knew that route was always there when they needed yardage. And uh, I think that really discourages a defense. I know it certainly discourages a, a fan or a crowd watching the game. So I think that the deep middle was wide open the entire game because safeties were so concerned about stopping the run. So I, I think that right now Oregon was the best team. I think SC gave a gallant fight, but they didn't have enough, and they need to improve in the areas we just discussed. All right. Uh, that's a great assessment, Coach. It was always good to hear. Well, we got a couple of questions. Um, John in L.A., 
wanted to know it, it's kind of about position switches i guess we you know we talked to in uh to dan weber in the last segment about they might mix up the secondary marshall jones is is going to get some looks he might replace juan's a starling but his concern john's concerns at cornerback and he says he remembers ronald johnson as being one of the top rated cornerbacks in the nation after he graduated high school why was he never tried a cornerback of course he's a senior and it's too late to make the switch but it seems that sc has always been in need of good cornerbacks um and sure, they could use a couple cornerbacks this last Saturday. He said under Pete Carroll, SC couldn't recruit elite quarterbacks. And ironically, he does remember Pete Carroll saying that he wanted to make USC cornerback you. Maybe kind of get your thoughts on what the, the cornerback situation is coming here at USC right now, Coach. Well, let me tell you, they have great cornerbacks. And when they were recruited out of high school, all of these young men, they were all four and five stars. I, I don't know how many people are playing in the secondary currently right now for USC that wasn't a four or five star. Now, you can correct me, but you do more of the evaluation and recruiting things no, as right. far as rating players. Yeah. So, so what do you mean we don't have players or they don't have players in the secondary? they got great players in the secondary. I just think sometimes when you watch the players play, and I, let me just pick out one and I'm out, I don't want to pick on a player, but I don't know how many people saw the outright. It was third and nine or third and eight. Might have been third and seven. I'm not sure. And Roby was in the game. And they, they needed nine yards or eight yards for a first down. I watched his technique. He opened up. He, he dropped. He First of all, he played off seven yards when they only needed seven yards. He gave up by backing off way too far to cover the deep route. He probably had a, a leverage between him and the receiver five yards, turned his back to the receiver, came back, the ball was caught, he knocked the guy out of bounds. I mean, I can't understand the technique there. When you have a third and seven situation, you're playing off seven, eight yards, and then backpedaling out and turning your back to the receiver and then the receiver's simply just going the necessary yardage and they're throwing an out route to him. Uh, I, I just don't understand how, and if you noticed, I think it was the big receiver 80 that they matched up on Roby, where if he, even if he was there, it would have been a very difficult play for this young man to make. And this young man's a freshman going against an experienced receiver. It's some of these things I quite don't understand is the techniques that some of these four- and five-star players are playing and how they continually get beat in the secondary or biting on play-action pass and so on by the, what, seventh or eighth game of the year. Uh, I just don't understand. Or the middle, in the middle of the zone in the middle that was continuously open the entire game. I mean, they could have thrown that pass every play if they wanted to. And there wasn't sometimes any fakes on it. It just was a direct snap, Thomas, and he threw them all. So these are the things I have question marks about, and and I and it's very difficult for me to question great coaches and what their game plans are because I'm not in their meetings. I don't know what their thought is. So it would be a lot easier for me to uh, to break this down if I knew what they were trying to accomplish. Then. Maybe it's on the player or something else. So it's difficult when I answer that question because I don't know what really what they were trying to do. All right, Coach. Uh, I mean, yeah, we're we're not in the meetings. We can't really see, so it's hard to tell. But definitely 
you know, I talked with Dan Weber about this in the last segment. Would you have been any worse off just telling Sharice Wright to stay on Mayo no matter what instead of relying on some kind of zone where they, they let him go run free so many times of the tunes that he was wide open on a, a bunch of different touchdown passes? How bad would the defense, how bad off would the defense have been if you just told Sharice Wright, stick to Mayo no matter where he goes? Well, I don't know if you can do that either. You can, but what happens then is then if they put him in a slot and they drive him off, they'll run option that way, and you won't have any force or anybody coming up to stop the play because you're driving off a guy. You don't have to block him. He's just going to run with you wherever you go, so that's one guy gone from your defense by not even having to block him. So you've got to be able to make sure you, you are able still to stop the run and the option that they run with Thomas. Thomas isn't a great runner, but he's a good runner. I mean, but I think he's a young Randall Cunningham when I watch him play because he's young, he doesn't get upset, he doesn't make mistakes, he's into the game, he's very relaxed on the sideline, and you've got to mess up his rhythm somehow, or you've got to not allow him to have early success like that because he just stood in the pocket, and he just threw that ball like a shot. It wasn't, and then, you know, Mayo made that great catch in the end zone, too. But basically, he was wide open on that catch. I mean, uh, he was wide open three times. Yeah, three touchdowns, ahead, he was wide open. Pardon me? Like three touchdowns, he was wide open. That's why I said, you know, it's like, yeah, you might take some risks other places, but. I'd rather have at least someone trying to cover him as opposed to just letting him run free and they kept having breakdowns in coverage and you get wide open. I mean, you make real easy throws for the quarterback when you got your best receiver wide open in the end zone all the time. Wide open in the end zone. I don't know where the safety help is there or anything, but you would think there'd be someone coming across not hitting him illegally, but trying to, you know, knock him out uh, so that he doesn't feel so comfortable running across the middle. They got a couple of good hits on him, but you can't have him running across that easily catching footballs. You just can't because every time that you saw Thomas drop back, you sort of held your breath. Uh, agreed, Coach. Uh, we got one other question. It's kind of like a, a recruiting question. I think these come up sometimes, Coach, when, when teams lose games. And it's mostly about guys that, that USC chooses not to recruit. They end up being stars kind of other places. Um he mentions Kenny Stills being a good wide out of high school, and he was very vocal about wanting to be a Trojan, and the coaches just didn't seem like they want to recruit him. He went to OU, and he's doing really well. Another guy, Tony Jefferson, was one of the top free safeties in California. He, too, is at OU and, and playing well. This guy, he's a true USC fan, but looking at these two play, he thinks they could have really helped the team out. Um, I mean, what do you think? I mean, there, there's going to be a lot of situations like that, and I think – Players like that can get motivated if they don't get recruited by the local, you know, big schools there. But it, it's hard. I mean, especially now with the sanctions, it's hard to kind of get everyone. And that, you know, the hindsight's twenty twenty when you see a guy go somewhere else and actually perform really well. No, you're right. You have to be very careful on your evaluations. And, you know, sometimes you do evaluate wrong and you do take the wrong player. Uh, these players have both turned out to be great players. They, they really have. And it's too bad. They aren't with USC, uh, especially if you're a Trojan coach or fan. How about Clay Matthews? This is the story of a young man where I cannot believe is it a Trojan. I mean, uh, he even said in his post-game interview oh, how Casey strange Matthews. it felt. 
being in the visiting locker room, playing in the Coliseum. His uncles, his dad, his whole family played at USC. And USC, I would have thought, I would have thought would have been interested in him. Maybe, you know, Clay walked on. Maybe they could have had him walk on and work himself into a linebacker position and a scholarship. The kid is not a great big kid. He's probably six foot, two hundred and twenty pounds, twenty five pounds. They lift him is bigger than that. But he plays like his brothers and he plays like his family. He starts in the middle. Uh he's got F C written all over him and he's wearing a duck uniform. That's the type of stuff that I wonder about the homework that people did and why these type of kids aren't on the roster at USC. Uh, I don't know what happened the last couple of years in recruiting uh, at USC, but the same level of player of the of the you know Matthews and Maluga and Patterson and some of these players that were there in the past, that same level currently I don't believe is on the roster now at USC yet. They've got some future stars in the receiver area that I think can really tremendously be great players, but they've got to take advantage of them and utilize the great players they have. And those guys have got to touch the ball. They're your game players. They've got to touch the ball. They've got to be in the game. And it's really important and apparent to me that if you get to Mark, Matt Barkley early, it really disrupts his game. I, I really notice that. He's not going to run the football. No matter how many yards he has, he's either been told or he's not going to scramble. So you can cover all day. He is not going to run. So what what you did, what they did early, they forced him out of the pocket a couple of times. He stepped up. He he did, lost his timing, lost his confidence. And if you do that early to Matt, it certainly did to me appear that he never regained his rhythm in the game, and he did throw some bad balls and ended up with two interceptions. Uh, great, Coach. Well, we'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens with him and if he can get his confidence going again against Arizona State. Obviously, it wasn't very high against Oregon, even though they were they were scoring some points early there. Uh, that, that question was actually from Will, and he had one follow-up, Coach, and, and maybe you could be the, the best person to answer this. And he wanted to know about what you think the future of Jesse Scroggins is, the freshman quarterback and he just doesn't want to see him transfer to your old school UNLV I think you know that the couple of players from USC have transferred to UNLV before he didn't want to see that for Jesse Scroggins what do you think about him well I didn't even know that he was considering that I don't think I he is I think he, he just brought it up because we got like was a Rocky Hines transferred before and stuff like that oh yeah yeah and Eric Wright and Jason Thomas there's been a few that's gone up to UNLV uh I don't know what his future is. You know, I haven't really had the opportunity to evaluate him, and I don't know exactly how he's grasping the offense. I don't know if he's a pro-style football player. I don't know if FC is planning on changing their style of play. I don't think they are going to include their quarterback into the running part of uh, off an offense, as other schools have done. The two commits they have for incoming freshmen aren't those type of players. Uh, Scoggins does have athletic ability. Uh, it's just, well, how much does he grasp the offense as a freshman? Obviously, he's redshirting. 
how is he perceived as far as the future? How has he improved as far as with the scout team? You know, if he was running a lot of plays against the scout team, that is where you get better. Once I want to tell you, once I was talking with Randall Cunningham, and I said, Randall, how did you like your year when you were down at, uh, what was it, Dallas or, or Baltimore, one of these teams? He said, Coach, I loved it. And, and I said, why did you love it? And he said, I said, you were a backup. He said, I loved it because I got better every day there. And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, the defense there uh, is, was so good. It was where Raymond Lewis was and all these guys. He says, Coach, I was going against the best every day. So I got better every day by throwing against the best every day. And when my time came, I was ready to play. When you just stand and watch, you don't get enough balls. You don't get any better. So this is coming from a professional. This is coming from somebody that says if you don't get your reps, then you're not ready to play. And if Stoggins didn't get in his reps at USC, like against the scout team, every single day learning how to throw the ball, even if it's somebody else's route, how do you know how good he's doing or how good do you know he's going to be? Well, now, he's get, you he's, go to practice every day. How often is he doing that? He is. He's actually getting a lot of reps with the scout team. I watched him yesterday. He threw a, a BB down the line on that short field there. It was pretty much almost the length of the field. And he, I would definitely say he's more of a drop-back guy. I mean, he's, he's got some athletic ability, but I wouldn't consider him a running quarterback or anything. At least we haven't seen that from him. He, maybe he's capable of it, but we haven't really seen it. Uh, he's throwing the ball well, though, or, you know, with the scout team stuff. And he did whatever he could last week to try to mimic Darren Thomas. And, um, you know, we're seeing more of him. Him and John Manugian get a lot of reps there in practice. And uh, Jesse Scroggins' dad's at practice a lot. I mean, they, they seem to really be part. I, I don't see him transferring or anything. I mean, maybe that situation will change. His dad's down there at practice quite a bit, always checking out his progress and stuff. And, you know, we'll see, obviously, next year. Uh, you know, he could be the primary backup for Matt Barkley and, uh, you know, with with Mitch Mustaine gone. So we'll kind of see what he's going on. But he is getting reps. Like you said, he's he's working with the scout team mostly going against the, that first team defense. And I think it's making him a better player. It will make him a better player. I tell you, this kid doesn't get much credit, but I want to mention his name, John Manugian. He works every single day out there, even with Ron Johnson after practice throwing the ball. And when they did not have a backup snapper, he volunteered for that, and he's now the backup snapper for the USC uh, Trojan, uh, what is it, the punter for the punting game, So and probably field goal. So uh, here's a kid that contributes a lot that people really don't even know who he is. Yeah, that gets him on the travel squad, too. So that's that's a good deal for him. You know, be, He's the backup. He's a backup long snapper, so he gets to travel with the team, even though he would be considered the third or fourth string quarterback. You're exactly right. When I heard about that, I told his dad, tell him I volunteered for it to make all the trips. <laughs> That's great. All right, Coach. Well, <laughs> we we appreciate you uh, spending time in your drive home from the airport on another bender in Vegas. But I hope you had a good time, and uh, we'll talk to you next week after the Arizona State game. Hopefully it'll be a little, little bit happier to talk about. Well, you know, it's always great to talk football with you, Ryan, and we, uh, again, want to thank all of our listeners out there that uh, sent us the questions, and and we'll try to answer those questions for you. So keep them coming in. And uh, we hope that the Arizona State game is something that there's not a letdown where they let a game get away they should win. 
All right. Well, appreciate it, Coach. And thanks to Southern California Tickets, our sponsor for Coach Harvey's Hyde segment as well. We'll be back in 30 seconds. Talk a little recruiting with Gerard Martinez. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. Let's talk a little recruiting in this segment. We have uscfootball.com recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez ready to talk a little bit of recruiting. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Everything, uh, everything good out there in the IE? Everything's good. Everything's busy. USC had uh, five official visitors come into the Coliseum last weekend, all five being out-of-state recruits. So we've been trying to track down some of these guys. Apparently they don't own phones. Uh, so we're trying <laughs> to go by pigeon carrier to get a hold of them and get updates to the USCfootball.com subscribers. Okay. Well, it's, I mean, it's tough, man. Some of these guys are big-name guys. Um, and that kind of leads us into our first question. We have a question from Ian. He says he loves the show, and uh, he loves, on a separate note, Shane Horton's intensity on the field. We agree with you there, Ian. He had a question for you, Gerard. Is it realistic or just a waste of time for USC to be going after big-name recruits that are already committed to other schools? And that ties in because, obviously, they, there were some guys that they brought in on official visits that, that were tied in and committed to other schools. Well, it's a, it's a simple question, and the simple answer is if they get those commits, then of course not. It's not a waste of time. If they don't, then it's a complete waste of time. Um, it's, it's tough to say. It goes on to a much bigger argument about you know, how much out-of-state recruiting should USC be doing. Um, so obviously, if you've got a kid that's committed to UCLA and he's taken an official visit to USC, or let's say he's committed to Cal and taken an official visit to USC, USC fans are going to feel pretty confident about that recruit. But when you've got a kid like Lyle Collins, who's uh, you know, 6'6", uh, 285 pounds, and he's coming out here from Baton Rouge, and he's committed to LSU, well, USC fans are really excited because he's a big offensive tackle, number one offensive tackle in the nation, but then they're equally as suspicious about his intentions when he's from Baton Rouge and he's committed to LSU. It's tough, very tough, to get kids uh, away from that situation, uh, just with the family pressure and just the local pressure. Uh, so, you know, but if USC is able to pull up an upset and sneak it down away, then, you know, all is forgotten. And, um, it's, you know, I think looking down the line at how many times it's happened, I think you can't criticize it to some extent because it doesn't happen a lot. There's not a lot of recruits that USC's brought in, even under Pete Carroll, that they've stolen away from other schools uh, that uh, have been committed to maybe an SEC school and then flip-flopped. A lot of those guys have come out and it's ended up being free trips. But, you know, I think, you know, it also looks, it's also something that to be said for the greater evaluation of kids too and getting to know kids and, and kind of understanding them a little bit because you may have to play them down the line. And, and I think 
Pete Carroll and, and I think Lane Kiffin obviously being a part of that staff uh, appreciated that a little bit, um, bringing some kids in and evaluating kids. And it also goes into, you know, that evaluation period of flying across the country and looking at these kids. I mean, it takes a lot of time, too. With official visits, you're bringing them in and you're hosting them and you're getting to know them and you're trying to sway them. But, you know, when you go on evaluation visits and you're going across the country, that's even more of a time and effort and uh, it kind of exhausted on a recruit that you could say, well, they're not going to get them and they don't really need to go look at those guys because they're committed elsewhere already to SEC schools and live in SEC country. Um, so I, I think what they do in that case is just try to get familiar with the talent out there and try to figure it out. And obviously, uh, somewhere along the line, going out to see Law Collins, uh, USC, Ed Erdron specifically because he recruits Louisiana, felt pretty good about him and felt that there was something there that the kid was interested in uh, maybe getting out of Baton Rouge and uh, having lived there uh, most of his life, uh, that uh, maybe Los Angeles would be a, a, different, uh, a different change for him, kind of a little bit of a pace uh, change for him. And, um, and so, you know, they're, they're swinging for the fences on that one. But, uh, you know, it, you can go on either side of that fence as far as, you know, is it, is it a waste of time? Uh, is it uh, worth it if you get that one guy out of pen? Um, to be able to flip top on his commitment, and he turns out to be a great player. Again, it, you know, it's all in hindsight. You know, if, if USC uh, doesn't get him, people say, well, that was a waste of time. And if they are managed to get him, then it was the greatest move ever by Lane Kiffin. Um, <laughs> I'll point out to a specific example, though, that, that Lane was actually able to pull off in Tennessee just the other year when they were there uh, under their first recruiting class. They were able to get Jansen Jackson, who's also uh, from, from Louisiana and was all thought to be a, a complete LSU lock for most of the year. And on signing day, he was able to afford them. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head if Jansen Jackson was actually committed to LSU at any point in the process, but uh, a lot of people thought he wasn't time to commit to LSU, and Lane Kiffin and, uh, and, and Ed Orgeron were able to pull that, that one out, and that was one of the bigger surprises uh, for, for, I mean, that we've seen in the last few years as far as recruiting goes. So they're capable of it, and I've only said that, but this coaching staff, they are relentless enough, and they do uh, swing for the fences enough that, you know, there's always that chance, even more than I think Pete Carroll um, and, and just the last uh, few staffs he's had, I think even more with, with Wayne and, and Ed Orgeron and this staff, you're going to have that possibility of something crazy happening um, for USC and, and them getting somebody that uh, you wouldn't expect to be getting. All right. Well, overall, what do you think? Uh, you know, we talked about some of the official visitors. There was a bunch of juniors there. There was a bunch of unofficial visitors, obviously, on the sidelines. USC lost to Oregon, but the atmosphere was pretty compelling, I think. I mean, the crowd was really into it. It seemed like they put on a pretty good show for their recruits, even though USC lost. They did, and I've gotten very positive feedback uh, from the uh, the official visitors and the unofficial visitors. Uh, we've had quite a few updates from guys like Corey Waller, um, Greg Townsend kind of ruffled some feathers on the peristyle because he talked about the crowd being a little laid back, and even he compared it to Nebraska. Uh, I think that was just him talking and, and you know talking with other recruits that may have been on official visits to other schools like Nebraska, and then comparing it to the Coliseum crowd. The Coliseum crowd was rocking. I thought it was one of the loudest Coliseum crowds that I've heard in in, in a long, long time, um, and I think that it really did present a great atmosphere for recruits. I think, you know, 
the coaching staff would love to have that type of atmosphere every game. Um, are they going to get it next week? You know, that's, I think, what Greg Townsend's talking about. Are, are they going to get it against Arizona State when you know, later game and it's not the biggest opponent? And the fans, they kind of maybe they want to do something else, you know, nice weather, go out to the beach, go hang out in the city, go do something else, go to Universal Studios, whatever it may be. And, and I think that was more what he was talking about. It's a laid-back uh, fan base to, to, to the large extent. It's, it's not uh, UCLA. Um, that's probably even more laid-back. But, you know, UCLA is also losing like crazy, too. So it's one of those things that, you know, if you're, if you're really, really die hard and you, you want to start comparing to the Big 12 and the SEC, hey, you know, they, they put, uh, you know, 90,000 in, in the seats uh, regardless of what's going on as far as the wins and losses. So I think he was talking to that. Um, but for the most part, um, the official visitors, everybody that I've talked to, and, and not necessarily just the recruits in general, or I should say the recruits directly um, talking to people that, talk to people that talk to people and when you can't get guys on the phone that's kind of how you have to do it uh the, the bottom is it's, it was a very successful weekend so we'll see how it pans out it's a long way till signing day and um you know usc is just kind of building it looks like with uh, these big weekends all right and then uh, you mentioned the ucla football program we had a question from david he wanted me to ask you about brett hundley who's a quarterback from arizona his UCLA friends tell him he's going to be the savior of the Bruin program. Is he that good? Should we be worried? That's what uh, David wants to know. Uh, Brian Roman's a very good quarterback. Uh, he is one of the better quarterbacks that I've seen on the West Coast this year. I will say, is he the savior of the program? I think, uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's like saying, hey, my husband is dying. Uh, he's on the floor writhing in pain. Can you, you know, Give him, you know, like a pill to, to, to at least, uh, you know, alleviate some of that pain. Give him some morphine. I, I think that's more along the lines of what Brett Henley could do for me right now. He might do a little morphine. He's morphine. Uh, okay. Program. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think he's, uh, uh, could be a savior right now. They've got a lot of different things that they've got to do to be a savior. The, the big thing about Hunley is that he's, he's a little more athletic and he can run a little more. And if you're going to run the pistol offense, you need a quarterback that's more option savvy, who has a little bit of athletic ability and can make some things happen on his own. He can do that. Is he like Vince Young type, you know, athletic guy that you, you see can, plug in there like Cam Newton and, and think, oh, yeah, you know, we can just build our offense around him. I don't think that, um, yeah, and I, you know, and I hate to put, you know, a feeling on the kid because it, you never really know, but I, from what I've seen, I, I think uh, they're going to need a lot, a lot of different parts to uh, that offense to get running better and make it, you know, savior. But again, it's a relative term. Like I said, you know, I mean, savior of the program, uh, does that mean that he could get to six and six? Or can, you know, is he going to help him, you know, maybe make the Emerald Bowl? That could be the savior of the program. It's, it's all relative. I mean, USC right now is looking to get back to, you know, national championships and Rose Bowls uh, when they're eligible, obviously. Uh, and UCLA is just looking to get back to respectable bowls and having winning seasons. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, take it as it's worth. I, I'm not sure how to define that, that, uh, that savior uh, word term. Okay, <laughs> makes sense. Then uh, one last thing. Uh, we had a question actually in the last segment for Coach Harvey Hyde. It was uh, kind of about recruiting and some guys they didn't recruit that are end up doing well, like Kenny Stills and Tony Jefferson. 
Um, I thought the Kenny Stills thing was interesting because USC is doing really well at wide receiver. And, and this question kind of relates to that. Uh, they want to know, with all the scholarship reductions, why is USC recruiting so many wide receivers? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you can complain about not getting a guy like Kenny Stills, but you can also argue there's a lot of guys in the program that are as good or better. I mean, they're just they're great receivers. And what, do, what is USC doing going after a whole bunch more of them? Well, yeah, Kenny Stills just was uh, – I think that just became an issue of numbers. I, I think he was a good player. I think UCLA – or USC, I should say. UCLA and USC both saw him and liked him. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you had Robert Woods, you had Kyle Prater, and Ambles that you know, Pete Carroll actually turned away um, at some point during the recruiting process because he felt pretty good about Prater – and it's good about Robert Wood, and they really didn't need to take another receiver. Um, now, you know, Kiffin had a really good relationship with Ambles and felt like he was going to be a playmaker, and I think in that situation just didn't want to turn down a guy that he felt confident was going to be a contributor to the program. And maybe he wasn't quite as sold or didn't know maybe enough about Robert Wood's uh, to to know that he was going to be the impact player he was going to be. Um, because remember, they're in Tennessee, and I don't know that they evaluated every single guy in person out here in California. Robert Woods was never a Tennessee recruit. Um, he did, and was familiar with Kyle Prater. Kyle Prater actually ended up visiting with him. His last official visit was to Tennessee, ironically. Uh, so that... Um, that's that's maybe something to to be said for that just kind of that class and why they took three receivers in that class coming in with this class you know why would USC take so many receivers you know maybe it's just you you take the talent when you can get it I mean I can understand the questions I can't really answer the questions I can't give you definitive well they want this many receivers because of this I mean they've got guys on the roster uh, but it might be just one of those things where they feel like they have an opportunity to get, uh, you know, two or three guys that are going to be great players for their program. And obviously we've heard some rumblings from Lane Kiffin about going to more of a spread offense. And we've talked about that ad nauseum. What does that mean, spread offense? You know, I mean, it, it, are we talking about just a single back, still quarterback, center, but just receivers? Are we talking about, you know, true blown out shotgun every snap? you know, run to the huddle, you know, there's a lot of different variations in that he hasn't gone into, uh, you know, specifics with. And I did actually, I did question the Anthony Arnett, who just officially visited USC uh, from Saginaw, Michigan, about a six-foot, 180-pound uh, receiver. And he's coming all the way out here when you've got, you know, George Farmer, very high on the list, number one recruit, you know, probably in, in California, maybe more of the top nation. Uh, and then you've got Victor Blackwell already committed, who has kind of got some similarities uh, to Arnett um, in that he's more of a, a possession receiver that really has great routes and great hands and just works to get open all the time. Uh, both those guys are a little more Damian Williams than George Farmer. George Farmer is just the uber athlete. He's, you know, about 6'2", 210 pounds. I mean, people have talked about him playing safety and receiver and even running back and, you know, what can he do in all these different positions? I mean, a guy runs a legitimate 10-4 and over 200 pounds and over 6-1. I mean, you, can, you could pretty much plug him in anywhere, and he'd probably be pretty good. Uh, receiver is, I think, where he really wants to play, and I think that's where he starts out for sure. Um, we'll see if, you know, he can kind of expand his role a little bit. Uh, but... You know, again, it's just a matter of maybe they just feel like these are three of the best players that they can get, period. 
and you when you have an opportunity to get three of the best players you can get, period, you take them. You know, you, you, the, the, the needs are, are not so much of an issue. And I don't know it's going to, if it's going to conflict with not being able to take more linebackers or not being able to take more linemen. Because at this point, you look at more, I don't really see them, you know, have, oh, we're, we're taking three receivers and they're going to have to sacrifice a linebacker or a lineman. I, I really don't get that feeling. And, and I think maybe that's where people need to just kind of relax and, and look at, you know, who they're taking and who they're not. If they only end up taking three offensive linemen in this class, then I think people are going to be upset and they have a right to be because they need more offensive linemen. Um, if they don't get, you know, more than, uh, you know, two linebackers in the class, same thing. I, I think they need to have a little more numbers at that position. But I don't know if they're not going to have those numbers. And also, the more important thing, as I said, you want quality, too. I mean, you, you want to make sure that you get good you don't just take players just to take players. I mean, Tennessee did that uh, years ago. They got Trey Henderson from Canada, who they just signed at the last minute and kind of thought he would be a good defensive lineman, and he just never, never turned out to be a Tennessee caliber player, probably even a Pac-10 player. Same thing with Alfred Rowe, who just, you know, was kind of a last-minute thing. It's like, hey, it's a poly kid. He's got a great athlete. Well, you know, came in the program, wasn't the best athlete, and really didn't pick it up in the classroom enough and just became a guy who fell through the cracks. So, you know, you don't want to situations, especially when you only have, uh, you know, limited scholarship numbers. you got to be smart about it. And I think right now, Lane being a, a wide receivers coach and, and kind of have wide receivers and, and work with them one-on-one is very comfortable with, uh, with those with those three guys, and those are really the, the top targets that you see circling right now. It's the Anthony Arnett, George Farmer, and uh, and Victor Blackwell. And they've, you know, they got one committed, and they've got uh, one that just came out in official visit, and then they've got one that's local that's at the top of the board. So it's probably pretty comfortable with those guys. All right, Gerard. Well, thanks as always for all the great recruiting information, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. See what's going on after more visitors come to the Coliseum this weekend. Yes, Arizona State and. Uh, We'll see how that pans out, too. So I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right, Gerard. Thank you. And everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We really appreciate you listening and writing in your questions. Podcast at USAFootball.com. Drop us a line anytime, and uh, we'll hope to hear you listening next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.